1: In the first part of the seasoning program, we're going to feature actors who have donated their time and fees that would normally go to them. Instead, went to the Hollywood home for retired actors, entertainment folks who had run out of parts to play and depended on others in their craft to pitch in and give them a hand. And the actors who played the roles on the Screen Guild Theater shows were A-list actors. Like tonight, we'll hear James Cagney portray a guy who's just broken out of jail, along with a gravelly-voiced character actor, Andy Devine, taking on the role of a safe cracker. I really like the other supporting characters, too, in this episode entitled, Hand of Providence. (laughs)
2: everybody. Tonight, your neighborhood good Gulf dealer joins the Gulf Oil Companies in presenting another program in this series of reviews, musical comedies, and dramatic shows. Written, directed, and acted by the greatest names in Hollywood for the benefit of the Motion Picture Relief Fund. Tonight, it's a drama written by Charles Tazwell and directed by Victor Fleming. So welcome all of you to this week's golf program, the Screen Guild Show, with Adrian Ames, James Cagney, Andy Devine, Priscilla Lane, Donald Meek, Theodore Boneltz, the music of Oscar Bradley, and Hollywood's favorite master of ceremonies, George Murphy.
3: Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. On behalf of the Gulf Oil Companies, I welcome you to another Screen Guild show, the motion picture star's own program. Tonight, it's a drama, The Hand of Providence, directed by Victor Fleming and written by Charles Taswell, under the musical direction of Oscar Bradley. The play, The Hand of Providence, is of two crooks and a lady. The lady, Jane Baker, is played by Priscilla Lane. Tony Barlow is James Cagney. Andy Devine will be heard as Blackie Knight. Donald Meek is Lawyer Harvey. Harriet is played by Adrian Ames. And Theodore Von else will be heard as Ralph. <laughs>
4: Attention all squad cars. Attention all squad cars. Black sedan, New Mexico license 4C2482, stolen from Santa Fe Station, Albuquerque, this morning. Repeat, black sedan, New Mexico license 4C2482. Special news bulletin. Anthony Barlow, alias Tony Barlow, and
3: James Knight, alias Blackie Knight, escaped from the custody of Special Officer Miles at Albuquerque this morning.
5: These two convicted men are wanted for attempted robbery. Turn it off, will you, Tony? What are
4: you worried about, Blackie? We're okay. Oh, if you call being in the middle of Kansas in a howling blizzard okay, then I'm a cross-eyed cockroach.
6: Well, you're not cross-eyed.
4: Huh? What'd you say? I'd say it's a lot better than being cooped up in a hoose car, isn't it? Mm. Smell that?
6: That's fresh, fresh air.
4: Hey, close up the window, Tony. Don't you know it's 10 below? okay. Okay. We can make Kansas City by morning. We'll ditch the car there and head south. We ain't going to get the KC if this blizzard keeps up.
6: The trouble with you, Hugh is you're a pessimist. Huh? Now, I'm an optimist, and I've got reason to be. I've got something looking out for me. Oh,
4: sometimes I think you're nuts, Tony. Nothing can happen to
6: you as long as you're with Tony Barlow. You just say that 50 times a day.
4: That's what I was saying when the burglar alarm went off in that bank of New Mexico. Yeah? Well, we, we were on the outside. If they
6: caught you working on the safe, they'd have sent us up for five years instead of three. You're lucky.
4: Yeah, now we only get five years for jailbreaking if they catch us. But they're not going to catch up with us. It's all
6: in the hands of Providence.
4: Providence? Who is this Providence? An old girlfriend of mine. Oh, is, is that who you're always gabbing with when you're talking to yourself?
6: Yeah. We give each other a little mumbo-jumbo now and then to straighten things out. She gives me some lucky breaks.
4: Well, you better ask her for one right now. Look up ahead. Kettle, lights, shooting out across the snow. Well, well, don't slow down now. Step on it, Tony. The car's not moving. Pop, right across the the road. It's a cop. Yeah, can I turn around? Not a chance. It'd get stuck, sure. We've got to shoot it out. Here, slide over me, Blackie, and take the wheel. What are you going to do, Tony? We're going through. Cops or no cops? Step on it, will you? We'll see if we can slide by. Okay. Hey, wait a minute. Hold it, Blackie. What? Hold it. The cops are dames. Oh, let's go. Dames is worse than cops. Oh, did I tell you? It's a girl. Oh, look at Tony. We can't do nothing for her. we got a hot car and the cops are right behind us. And we've got to give her a lift. She needs it. Oh, right now, dames is poison. Poison or no poison, it's Providence. Oh, Providence, Chicago, Kansas City, it's no good. Shut up and open the door. (coughs)
7: Hey, hey, mister. What's the trouble? I'm stuck. My car won't
4: move. Hop in. Move over, Blackie. Give lady a seat. In this car? Oh, sister, that's a hot seat.
6: Warming up?
7: Yes. Yes, thanks, Mr. Uh...
6: Tony. That's Blackie at the wheel. Oh, hello.
7: He's not very happy, is he?
6: <laughs> no, he's always like that. He's a pessimist, afraid of what he doesn't expect.
7: Well, I guess he didn't expect me. I wasn't counting on no Jane. Well, that's funny. That's my name. Huh? Jane. Jane Baker.
6: Blackie's sort of a mind reader. Uh, how'd you happen to be driving in this blizzard?
7: I came through from Los Angeles. I've been on the road five days.
6: You must have been taking your time.
7: Oh, my car's an antique. I had three punctures, a blowout, and a bearing went bad outside Santa Fe. It was providence you came along when you did.
6: Mm-hmm. Hear that, Blackie?
7: We're only about a mile and a half from my home.
6: Your folks will probably kill the fatted calf.
7: Well, I haven't any folks. That is close. Just Gramp. Gramp? My grandfather and my grandmother raised me. Then after grandmother died, I stayed on and kept house.
6: Gram's got a nice little farm, eh?
7: He used to be an engineer on the Kansas Central. The tracks go through the cut right over there. When they retired him to the farm, it almost broke his heart.
6: How'd you happen to leave him and go to L.A.?
7: Well, Gram thought I was wasting my life around here. I played the lead in my high school play.
6: Mm, I get it. Local gal makes Hollywood.
7: Oh, I hated it. I never got inside a studio gate.
6: Better have faith in yourself. That's the only way you can get the
7: breaks. Well, I discovered I didn't want a break. All I wanted from Hollywood was to get back home.
6: You hear that, Blackie? To switch on the old story.
4: How you girls talk when you let down your back hair? <laughs> Quiet. From don't. sunny California to a Kansas blizzard. I don't know, lady, but I... Oh, mean...
7: but you ought to see Grant's house in the summer. There are two big elms that shade the front yard. They're more than a hundred years old. And there's roses and, and a grape arbor. And a well so deep it talks back to you when you shout down it. It's the grandest place in the state of Kansas, or in the whole world.
6: Mm, that sounds perfect to me. Might be perfect for a hideout. Yeah. Oh, what? Uh, uh, a vacation, eh, Blackie? Yeah, Blackie's got sense.
7: Well, slow down. We're almost there.
6: Tired, Blackie?
4: Tired nothing. I'm dead.
7: Why don't you stay over at Gramps until the plows come through to open the road? Oh, no, thanks. What time will that be? In the morning, about six.
4: Well? Oh, we got to push on. We could make better
6: time now in the morning.
7: Now look, Tony. Gramps and I'll be glad to have you.
6: I tell you, we got to keep going. And get stuck in a
7: snowbank, Blackie?
6: Sitting there helpless and waiting for some kind officer of the law to dig us out in the morning? Oh, oh
7: yeah, but... Then you'll stay?
6: If sure, uh, Gramps won't
7: mind. Why, of course not. Oh, there's the gate. There's a shed back of the house
4: where you could put your car. Oh, nothing can happen to me as long as I'm with Tony Barlow. Nothing can happen to me as long as I'm with Tony Barlow.
7: Nothing can
8: happen
9: to me! that you, Jane?
8: Jane, darling. Harriet. Where something.
9: have you been? Didn't you get the telegram? Hello, Jane.
8: Lawyer Harvey, Ralph. Well, what are you all doing here? Is Grant sick? Sick? Do you mean to say you don't know? Jane,
9: dear, grandfather's dead. Dead? Yes. Yes, Miss Jane.
7: But but he can't be. I had a letter just...
9: Well, I know it was very sudden. Five days ago.
7: Well, but, Grant, he... Oh, Grant... What
4: is this, a convention? Come on, Tony, let's get out of here. No, no, wait. We can't
9: walk out now, Blackie. No, 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 Miss Jane, I know it's a terrible shock.
8: After all, Jane, grandfather was 81. 82, Harriet. Grandfather lived a full, happy life of 81. 81,
9: now. 82, the man's dead. Oh, when was the old guy planted? <coughs> I mean, when was he buried? Three days ago, Mr.
8: Uh... Uh, black, black like in coffee.
7: Friends of yours, Jane? Oh, they... They were kind enough to pick me up when my car got stuck. Mister Black and Mister
6: Tone. Sorry to come in at a time like this.
7: My cousins Harriet and Ralph, and Lawyer Harvey. How do you How do? You you? You? The storm's so bad. I asked them to stay till the plows came through in the morning. How generous of you! I
8: didn't know then that Gramp was
7: wasn't here.
8: I'm afraid there's no place for them to sleep. I have the front bedroom. I
9: took Gramps, and Lawyer Harvey has the middle room.
8: That leaves the back bedroom for you, Jane.
9: We can camp out here in the kitchen. That is, if it's if it's okay with you. Oh, of course. So what time should we get together in the morning, lawyer Harvey?
8: Ralph and I want the will read as soon as possible.
9: Uh, Wilson, the real estate man, found a buyer for the property. He wants to see us at two.
8: You're not going to sell Grant's house. It's not Grant's house now,
7: Jane. It's Ralph's and mine. Uh,
9: Wilson says he can get a fair price for it.
7: But but it's always been lived in by us bakers. You, you just can't turn it over to some outsider. I...
9: Uh, <laughs> uh, pardon me. I think I understand how Jane feels. You see, Mr. Baker always told me he wanted Jane to have this place. He didn't say so in the will, lawyer Harvey. No, but after all... Now, well... the grandfather
8: wasn't fond of you, Jane. He took care of you while he lived. He mustn't feel badly because he didn't mention you in his will.
9: And since he never made a new oh,
8: one. I, uh...
7: I don't, I don't. But can't you wait to sell a house, Harriet? It seems like...
8: We must
6: dispose of our inheritance as we see fit, Jane. Excuse me, will you? Uh, I, I know I really don't belong here, but... Might I ask a question?
8: Yes, Mr. Tone?
6: Uh, Graham's been alone here for quite a while, hasn't he? How do you know he didn't draw up a new will and mention Jane?
8: Lawyer Harvey would know if he had.
9: Well, well, no, he didn't, Mr. Tone. Uh, Mr. Baker, several uh, appointments made but to to draw up a new testament, but... Well, he was like that. If it rained, he couldn't get in, uh, into town. And if the sun shone, he just couldn't let anything interfere with his fishing. Uh, <laughs> where's the old will? Down at the bank? No, it's been locked in a safe in the kitchen for ten years. No one's touched it. Not even Grant. You mean the safe hasn't been opened? For ten years? It couldn't be opened.
8: Why not? Because, Mr. Tone, grandfather was a whimsical man. He bought the safe at an auction.
9: He didn't have the combination for the lock, but uh, he kept his will and his bonds in and it. Did you say bonds? Yes. Are the uh, bonds worth anything? About 5000 I imagine. Grandfather bought one a year for nest eggs.
8: Is there any more family data we've neglected to give you?
4: Uh-huh. Are they still in there?
8: Yes. Uh-huh. Poor Grandfather shut the door one day and it locked. He was never able to get it open again. I'll
4: make you a proposition, Harriet. I... Please.
8: Jane, how long did you say you've known these gentlemen?
9: Uh, tell me, did you uh, help Grant make the will lawyer hobby? Uh, no, no, Mr. Tone. Uh, that was uh, done before I came here. Old Benson wrote it out by hand. He's gone now, poor soul. Along with Joby Ames and Cal Corbett, who witnessed it. A fine lawyer, Benson. He's made all the wills in the county for 50 years.
8: Isn't it getting a bit nostalgic in here? Ralph, bring the lamp. I'm going to bed. Well, I
9: think I'll go, too. Oh, uh, the locksmith will be out at 9 o'clock in the morning to open the safe. So at my age. All right, wonders. all right, lawyer Harvey. <clears throat> Come on. Good night. Good night, everybody. Mighty night. Good
4: night.
6: Good night. Uh, you better go out and drain the radiator of the car, Blackie. Oh,
4: I'd better take an ice pick. It's probably froze up starting from that dame's heart. Go
6: on, go on, go on.
4: Okay, Get... okay,
7: Tony. Oh, listen. Hear that? Train was. When I was little, I used to wait for Grant's train every afternoon over by the cut. Pretty soon it would come swinging along. Gramp would wave and the whistle would blow. Just like that. I kind of think I'd have liked Gramp. Oh, everybody did.
6: Oh, too bad about the will in the house. I can't see why Gramp left everything to Ralph and Harriet.
7: Well, they were Gramp's first grandchildren. When they were little, he must have been terribly proud of them.
6: I wouldn't give them much now. Any idea what you'll do? No. That's tough. Tough for a girl. A guy I can always get along somehow I'll. I'm sorry we busted in at a time like this.
7: Oh, I'm glad you were here. Gramp would be too. It'd be pretty bad with just Ralph and Harriet in the house. You're Gramp's kind of folks. Thanks. Well, good night. Good night. I, I'll see you in the morning?
6: Yeah, sure. We'll be here.
7: The snow plows will be through early, but uh, you'll stay for breakfast.
6: Oh, yes, yes. We'll stay if we, if we don't wake up too early. Jiminy,
4: Christmas. It's cold. I'll bet it's 20 below.
7: Good night, Mr. Blackie.
4: Uh, good night. Gosh, Tony, I nearly froze my hands. I couldn't hardly hold on to the flashlight to see what I was doing. Well,
6: start warming them up. Huh? Start warming them up. What do you mean? Listen, Blackie, there's a safe in this house that hasn't been open for ten years. And it's got $5,000 worth of bonds in it. Does that mean anything to you? Mean anything? Huh. Why, that's a perfect setup. That's where you're wrong, Blackie. Warm up those fingers. This isn't a setup. This is providence.
3: curtain has just fallen on the first act of The Hand of Providence, written by Charles Taswell and directed by Victor Fleming. And now,
2: is John Conti. The traffic signs you see along the roadside are usually put there because they contribute to your safety. Well, in somewhat the same way, your good golf dealer has put up a special sign, one that has to do with safety also, the safety of your automobile engine. Now, this sign says, Do It Now. And it means change your motor oil now to fresh Gulf Pride motor oil of the right seasonal grade. You see, Gulf Pride motor oil gives you extra engine protection. It's made differently from all other oils, refined from 100% pure Pennsylvania crude, not by conventional methods alone, but also by the patented AlClor process that Gulf alone can use. So keep your eyes open for the Do It Now sign. Play safe and change to Gulf Pride the motor oil that works wonders of lubrication.
3: The curtain curtain is about to rise again on the second act of our Gulf Screen Guild play, The Hand of Providence, starring James Cagney, Adrian Ames, Priscilla Lane, Andy Devine, Donald Meek, and Theodore Von Elf.
8: Good morning, everybody. Good morning, Harriet. You still here, Mr. Blackie? Yeah,
9: sorry, but we're still waiting for that snowplow. I called the highway department that night. Uh, What'd they say? They assured me the road would be open by 10 o'clock at the latest, Mr. Black. 10 now. Well, we ought to be traveling. Is the coffee hot, Jane?
8: Yes. Goodness, who's that? Tony! It it might be Carl. It's probably another friend of Jane's. I'll go.
9: Who's Carl? The locksmith. Oh. Morning. Morning, ma'am.
8: Come
4: in, Carl. Good morning, Harvey. Gosh, I, I'm late, but I come along right behind
6: the plow. And the road's open? As Far's as here. They're working toward the main highway. Well, I guess we better follow them.
7: Can't you wait just a little?
6: I'm afraid not, Jane. It's important we get to Kansas City.
7: Yeah, very important.
6: The sheriff's
4: car was stuck down the road. He's following along behind the plow. Oh. I guess we could wait a
9: little bit, Jane. Uh,
4: yeah, I guess we could.
9: Uh, come right in the kitchen, Carl. That's where the safe is. Come on, Harriet. Ralph. Jane. Uh, don't look so
6: good, does it, Tony? We're still all right if we stay here till the sheriff gets out of the way. Yeah, if we'd have just kept on going instead of stopping here last night. If we had, we might have been stuck in the same drift as the sheriff. Come on, let's see how they make doing with the safe. Look here, my
9: good man. You've been working on, on that safe for an hour. We haven't
4: got all day. Haven't you ever opened a safe before? He's a rank amateur, isn't
9: Now, uh, what was that, Mr. Black?
6: Don't criticize something you know nothing about, Blackie. Uh,
9: yeah, excuse me.
4: I think I almost got it, Lawyer Harvey. Yep. There you
9: are. She's
4: open. And
8: about time. <laughs> well,
9: yeah, everything seems to be just as Mr. Baker left it ten years ago. Let's me see now. Mm. Ah, th- this looks as though it might be the will. Yes, yes, Mr. Baker's handwriting. I couldn't mistake that in a hundred years. Could you, Ralph? No, that's it all right. Yes, yes, indeed. And here. Here's where old Dobie Ames and Cal Corbett witnessed. I think <laughs> you've verified the paper sufficiently, lawyer Harvey. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yes, yes, indeed, Ralph. Now, let me see. Mm. <clears throat> Be it known by all present that I, Daniel C. Baker... Uh, do being jump sound down to the middle mind. Hmm? Oh, all right, Miss Harriet. Uh, here we are. Uh, to my dear granddaughter Harriet, whom I have never liked... What? ...believing her to be a vain, stupid, empty-headed, selfish female... The
8: idea! ...and
9: not worth two hoots on a switch-engine whistle.
8: I don't believe it.
9: I'm, I'm only reading what it says, Miss Harriet. <clears throat> Uh, to Harriet, I leave the sum of one dollar, and I hope she loses that down a grating on her way home from my funeral. <laughs> it's incredible. Very unfortunate, Harriet. Go on, lawyer Hart. <clears throat> uh, to my dear grandson Ralph, <clears throat> who was has never given a moment of his time or a cent of his money to any but his own selfish interests. What does he mean? He means you don't like you either. And who I firmly believe will grow more selfish as the years go on. I don't believe it. I also leave the sum of one dollar, which I confidently expect he will keep. Let me see that paper. It's, it's just as Mr. Baker wrote it, Mr. If, if he were alive, I, I, I'd bring him into court. To my dear granddaughter Jane. Me?
7: Me? Why, but I thought... To
9: Jane, whose unselfish devotion brightened my last years, I leave my house and the remainder of my estate and my own eternal devotion. Signed, Daniel C. Baker, engineer, retired.
7: Jane gets everything? Are you sure? Are you sure that's what Gramp wrote lawyer Harvey?
9: He tricked us. He had the safe opened and changed his will.
7: Leading us to believe all this time...
9: We'll break the will. We'll break it. Oh, oh, I I don't think I would do that, Mr. Ralph.
7: But, lawyer Harvey, Gramp always told me. It must have been one of Gramp's little jokes, Miss
9: Jane. Jokes? (laughs) Harriet, we won't wait for that afternoon express. We'll take the noon local.
8: I shall consult my own lawyer as soon as I get home.
9: And I shall certainly consult mine. They seem
4: kind of upset. Yeah,
9: that dame was always upset. Miss Jane, I'm... I'm glad it turned out this way. Oh, and now about the bombs. Uh, dear, me, dear me, I don't... I don't seem to
6: see them. They fell out of the safe and Blackie picked them up. Didn't you, Blackie?
4: Huh? Oh, oh,
9: oh, did I?
6: Come on, Blackie, come on.
9: Okay, there
4: you
6: are.
9: Uh, uh, two, six, eight, nine,
6: nine. There were ten. Weren't there, Blackie?
9: Yeah, ten. See, ten. <laughs> oh, thanks. Thank you. Um, I'll take care of these, Miss Jane, until the will is probated. Now, now, where did I leave my briefcase? Oh, yes, yes, in the parlor. Excuse me?
6: Well, I, I guess we better shove off, too, Jane. Get the car and bring it around front, Blackie.
4: Yeah, I filled the radiator early. Sure hope it ain't
7: froze up. you really have to go? I mean, the roads are still pretty bad.
6: We can get through to Kansas City.
7: Is that where you live?
6: No, no. Lucky and I don't live anywhere. I guess we're what you'd call rolling stones.
7: Don't you get tired rolling?
6: Oh, sure, yeah. once in a while, but you see, a stone hasn't much choice. Once it starts to go, it's hard to stop.
7: But the only way it can roll is downhill.
6: That's right. With a dull thud at the bottom, maybe. But I'm not kicking. Life isn't much fun if you know all the answers ahead of time.
7: You know, you're a lot like Gramp. He was a rolling stone, too, when he was young. But then he came here and stopped rolling. You see, there aren't any hills in Kansas.
6: Hmm. Gramp was lucky. And maybe he wasn't traveling as fast as Blackie and me. I've been on the move ever since I was 14, just a punk kid starting off to be a big shot. But, uh, I didn't have enough ammunition.
7: Where did you start from?
4: Mm,
6: Chicago. Instead of two elms in the front yard, we had a couple of sick geraniums on the fry escape. Yeah, and for a well to hollow down, we had an air shaft right outside the kitchen window. If you shouted down that, it answered you back in half a dozen different languages. Ah, no, there isn't much about a place like that to keep a kid at home. If I had a kid, I'd want him to have a house like this. Something he'd be proud of. That way he'd never want to take after his old man and start rolling.
7: Well, if... if you ever stop somewhere, will you let me know? Why? I'll write to you.
6: You mean that? On the level?
7: On the level. Will you?
6: Yeah, sure. Why not? I get a chance, I might send you a postcard sometime.
7: I'll answer it, Tony.
6: That'll be swell. Only don't count on it too much. Maybe quite a while before I get around to it. How long? Hmm? Might be five years.
7: Well, that's not so long.
6: The best thing you can do is to forget all about me. Forget I've ever been here.
7: Well, you'll be back this way.
6: No, no. It isn't likely. If I do, you'll be married to some nice farmer.
7: No. I'll be waiting.
6: If you have any sense, you won't be. <laughs> There's Blackie. Well, Goodbye. Good luck, Jane.
7: Goodbye. Well,
9: I'll get back to town, Jane. Who, who's that leaving? Mister Tone,
7: Mister Black? Yes.
9: Oh, I'm sorry I didn't get to say goodbye. Nice boy.
7: Yes, he. I mean, they were. Yeah, and see you tomorrow, Jane. Goodbye, lawyer Harvey.
9: Morning, Harvey. Good morning, Sheriff. Anything wrong?
4: Yeah. We're looking for two fellas that ditched the police on the main road last night. Tony Barlow and Blackie Knight.
9: What are they wanted for?
4: Blackie's a safe cracker. Ain't a
9: safe maid. He can't open. And Mr. Tone I mean uh, Tony Barlow? He's a forger. You can write your name and you'll swear on a stack of Bibles you wrote it yourself. Ooh. Have you seen a strange
4: car? Goodbye, Harvey?
9: Why, no, no, I haven't, Sherry. Yeah,
4: well, we'll get him. Turn around, George. So long, Harvey. So long. <laughs> <laughs> A safe cracker and a forger. <laughs> Grandpa always did pick the strangest friends. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Hello, Blackie. Say, where you been, Tony? Back having coffee with the brakeman. Yeah, and I've been hiding like an ostrich ever since we ditched the car and hopped this Rattler. How come the brakie's such a softie? He's a crapshooter.
6: On my last natural, using my dice, I won free and undisputed transportation to the end of his run. Oh, where's that? Albuquerque. Oh, but that's where we come from yesterday. That's where we ditched the
4: special officer. Yeah, this train going back there seems almost like Providence, doesn't it? Oh, there you go again. Come on, let's get off of here. Come on, we're slowing down. You get off, Blackie. I'm going along to the end of the run. Oh, are you nuts? You go back to Albuquerque and they'll grab you and pin five years on you.
6: That's not a lifetime. You can do a lot of things after that.
4: Such as what?
6: Oh, sit in the shade of an elm tree a hundred years old, or holler down a well to will your back.
4: Oh, I always knew you was nuts. Come on, Tony. Are you getting off or ain't you? Nope, I'm staying on, Blackie. So long and good luck. No, dog, gum it. Go on, go on. Jump, Blackie. No, I can't do it. Why not? Can't you see your Providence dame is holding on to my coattails? You got me screwy, too. You mean you're going to Albuquerque? Oh, sure. Give me those dice. I ain't myself. I'm going to roll that breaky for a strong cup of coffee.
6: Well, Gramp, I hope you like the way we fix things. Maybe it wasn't according to Hoyle, but you kind of messed things up pretty bad yourself, didn't you? Well, you couldn't help it. We all make mistakes. That's why we got to look for the hand of Providence to sort of clean things up for us. See what I mean?
4: And, uh,
6: it's okay, Gramp? Okay. Okay, Gramp.
3: Thank you, Adrian Ames, James Cagney, Andy Devine, Priscilla Lane, Donald Meek, and Theodore von Eltz for a swell Gulf Screen Guild Show. Just a moment, ladies and gentlemen, James Cagney will return. But first, a word from John Conte.
2: Thank you, George Murphy. Ladies and gentlemen, most of us like to do a job right, even when it takes more time. But when you're lucky enough to have a job that can be done right without taking the slightest bit more time, or trouble either, and you certainly don't want to hesitate. And that's the way it is with your regular spring motor oil change. When you drive into your good golf dealers and ask for Gulf Pride Motor Oil, you can be sure that you're getting the job done right because you're getting a motor oil that gives you the right kind of engine protection. Gulf Pride Motor Oil comes from a special kind of crude oil, 100% pure Pennsylvania. It's refined a special way by the patented Alclor process. The result is a specially tough and durable lubricant, one that we honestly believe will save you money in the long run. So, look for the Do It Now sign at your good golf dealers and change to Golf Pride Motor Oil.
6: George. Oh, George Murphy. Yes, Jim. Speaking of myself and the members of tonight's cast, I'd like to say we're glad to contribute our services to the Motion Picture Relief Fund. These Sunday golf shows are making it possible for us to build a home for those members of the industry who can no longer provide for themselves.
3: Thank you, Jimmy. Speaking for the golf oil companies and the golf dealers, I'd like to say we think it's mighty fine of the actors, the directors, and the writers of Hollywood to contribute the money that would ordinarily receive for these broadcasts to such a worthy cause, the Motion Picture Relief Fund.
6: Who's going to be here next week, Georgie? Oh, great show
3: next week, Jim. It's a review starring Gary Cooper, Deanna Durbin, Patsy Kelly, and Park Your Carcass. I'll be listening. Good night, everybody. Good night, Jim, and thanks very much for coming. And remember, ladies and gentlemen, next week, same time, same station, the good golf dealer in your neighborhood joins the Gulf Oil Companies in welcoming you to another Screen Guild show with Gary Cooper, Deanna Durbin, Patsy Kelly, and Park Your Carcass. Till then, this is George Murphy saying thank you for the Gulf Oil Companies for the motion picture industry. Good night.
1: Stay tuned for Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar, next on Theatre of the Mind. You're listening to Theatre of the Mind on Zoomer Radio, AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. And now a favorite golden oldie for many listeners, Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar.
5: Ridley's Spearmint Chewing Gum, the refreshing, delicious treat that gives you chewing enjoyment. Presents for your listening enjoyment, Edmund O'Brien as... Johnny Dollar.
10: Johnny. This is Louise Costa. Oh, Louise. Say, that's funny. I was thinking of you and Lucky just this morning. Were you? Yeah, how are you? I don't know,
11: Johnny. That's why I crossed.
10: What's the matter, Louise? Something about Lucky?
11: I don't know. Maybe it's me. Maybe I'm getting tired of being a detective's wife.
10: Hey, wait a minute. That doesn't sound like you.
11: I know, but something's wrong. He's been on a case and he had to go to San Francisco, or at least that's what he told me. I haven't had one word, not even a postcard, in a week.
10: That doesn't sound like Lucky. Maybe he's in trouble. The
11: divorce case, Johnny. Could I talk to you about it? Maybe I'm all wrong, but I'd like to know.
10: Yeah, sure, Louise. I'll be over in about an hour, if that's all right.
5: The makers of Brigley's Spearmint Chewing Gum bring you Edmund O'Brien in another adventure of the man with the action-packed expensive account. America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator...
10: Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to New York Police Department Attention Homicide Bureau. I in no way expect you to honor this statement, but for the sake of convenience, I'll use my regular report form. The following is an accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the Lucky Costa matter. His real name was Frank Costa. I don't know where he picked up the Lucky tag, but he'd had it five years ago when both of us were on the payroll of one of the big detective agencies. He opened his own office at about the same time I went into insurance. I got to know him and his wife well, but not intimately, and I liked them both. So when she phoned with worry in her voice, I went over to see her. In a way, I wish I hadn't. Now that you're, here,
11: you're kind of silly and embarrassed.
10: Well, you don't have to talk about anything you don't want to, Louise? Why don't we go to dinner and a movie and forget the detective racket for a while? Well,
11: that doesn't work. I've it. Johnny, it's not only this week that I haven't heard from him. Much has changed. How? Well, it's nothing I can explain to you. If you'd seen him every day, you probably wouldn't have noticed anything, but it's something that a wife could see. The thing with his eyes when he didn't know I was looking at him. Sort of a far away as if he was thinking of something that I didn't have any business knowing about. You know Lucky's never been like that.
10: Well, I guess any man keeps secrets when it's his job, too.
11: Well, Lucky never has with me. He doesn't need to. As far as his job went, he's always told me that it did him good to come home and talk things over with me, even things he really wasn't supposed to talk about. It hasn't been that.
10: You think he's mixed up with another woman, don't you?
11: <sighs> he started over a month ago, Johnny. I've been used to Lucky being away. You know that.
10: Yeah, I guess you'd have to be.
11: But like I said, I, I knew when things got different. When, well, when it was more than just being away from me.
10: You sure you aren't imagining things? I'm
11: not imagining that I haven't heard from him in all this time. That never happened before.
10: Hmm. How long has this been going on, this change you speak of?
11: Oh, I tried to remember exactly when I first noticed it. And I, I think it was one night about a month ago. I asked him what he was thinking about, and he sort of came to and said something that I don't remember now.
10: Did you press it any further?
11: A couple of times, and then I didn't anymore, because it made me think he was hiding something from me. I didn't want to think that. I kept telling myself that everything was all right, but now I know it wasn't.
10: Was he on a case a month ago?
11: He was tracing some ponies. It doesn't have anything to do with work, Johnny. I know that. He'd traced ponies before. He'd done everything before. It
10: wasn't work. Well, I don't have a wife's viewpoint, but I know Lucky pretty well. Some things about him I know better than you do. It seems to me that if he was going to go wrong with a woman, he'd have done it a long time ago. We met some, you know.
11: Yes, I've
10: heard. Does his brother still live here in town? Yes,
11: but I haven't phoned him.
10: Same address on Broad, wasn't it?
11: Yeah. Are you going to
10: see him? Yeah, I thought I might. You want me to check on Lucky, don't you?
11: I don't know what I want. Yes, I want to find
10: out. Well, all right. I think his brother is the best place to start. The last time I'd been at the Broad Street address had been for the funeral of the Costas' mother. The house was a few years more beat up than it had been. Some old chicken coops stood empty in the backyard. And Joe, the brother, pulled up in an old car after I'd thumbed the doorbell three or four times and it started to leave. I took the wife and kids over to the park so I could have some peace for an hour or so. Yeah, I almost missed you. I'm glad you didn't, Johnny. It's been a long time. How things been going with you? Joe. You? Ah, a guy can make a living. But making it go far enough is another story. Take him in the house. Sure, thanks. I'm working over at Blickers now. Better spot in the old job. Had one raise already and got another one coming up. Man, yeah, that sounds good, Jim. You still doing the same thing? Yeah, still following people. You, uh, see much of Lucky anymore? No, no, not for six months anyway. As a matter of fact, I came here to talk to you about him. Yeah? What about him? Well, I wondered if you'd spoken to him before he left for San Francisco last week. No. I talked to Lucky for the last time, as far as I'm concerned. That was about a month ago. What's the matter? Thought you two were okay that you got along all right. You're a pretty good friend of his, aren't you, Johnny? Well, you know how it was. He and I just fell together when we were with the agency. Yeah, we're good friends. Maybe I see him only twice a year, but he's almost the only guy I've held on to. Did he ever tell you about his first wife? He was married before? Yeah. Did he ever tell you about the year and six he spent in prison? Joe, are you serious? Yeah. That's the way lucky he is. He don't let his friends know anything about him that he don't want him to know. He's always been like that. There's always been two sides to Joe. One that you know about and one that you don't. What about this prison term? This grand theft. It was over this girl that he married, his first wife. He stole some furs for her. How long ago? 12, 15 years, I guess. Well, we're still living in Brooklyn. Lucky was a wild kid when he was 18 or so, and he still got some of it in him. Who was this woman he married? Her name was Hazel Mackey. And she called me about getting in touch with Lucky. Oh? Uh-huh. When? That was about a month ago. That's when him and me had our showdown. I told him he was a dumb cluck if he saw Hazel again. I said, You got a new life now. You're a to something. You're married to a nice kid. But I could tell I wasn't getting to him. He was going to see her. I knew that. So I told him if he did, it was the end of him and me, brother or no brother. You're sure he saw her? I know before he left that he would. She had some kind of a hold on him back when they were married. And she still got it. What do you want with Lucky, Johnny? Louise called me. She hasn't heard from him in a week, and she wants to know what goes. He's dropped out of sight. Sure, he has. I know he would. Where can I find this Hazel? New York. She's got an apartment on eighty-second. You got the number? Uh, yeah. Come in any other room. I'll get it for you. <laughs> Hazel Mackey?
12: Yeah. Who are you?
10: My name is Dollar. I'm a friend of Lucky Costa's.
12: Oh, come on in. Thanks. Do you know where Lucky is? Not at the moment, no. Who are you?
10: I told you, he's been missing for a week. His family is worried. I'm looking for him.
12: He's on a case.
10: Is he working for you? Yeah. What kind of a case?
12: I don't know that it's any of your business. I need a detective, so I hired him. Is that all right?
10: It would be if he were on the up and up about it, but he isn't. As far as his wife knows, he's in San Francisco on a divorce case.
12: I can't help what he tells his wife. How did you get here? His
10: brother told me about you.
12: I guess his wife doesn't know. I guess that's why he told her he was going to San Francisco.
10: Do you know where I can reach him?
12: No, not for a while.
10: Do you think I ought to send his wife to the police? I don't see why you should. I will if I don't find out about the case he's on. Hey,
12: what's with this pressure stuff? What's the case? I needed a bodyguard. What for? I was engaged to a guy who was sent to prison. He was there two years, and I changed my mind about him. He's out now, and I'm afraid of him. Who is he? You know I don't like you. You've got a lot of nerve. None of this is any of your business.
10: I wish you were right, but I've already stuck my neck out and made it my business. So if I don't find out these things from you, I'll find them out from someone else. Yeah,
12: I guess you would. His name is George Myers.
10: What makes you think he's going to cause you any trouble?
12: Some of the things he told me when I went to visit him. It's hard to talk sense to a man who's been in prison that long. I tried to tell him how I felt, but he'd blow his top and make a lot of threats. Where is he now? I don't know. He's been out a week. And Lucky's trying to get a line on him.
10: He hasn't contacted you yet?
12: No, but he will. When it's over with and we get things straightened out, then Lucky can go back to his wife. Now, if you approve, I'd just as soon you'd get out of here.
10: Well, a few things don't figure. You answered the door but they're not like a dame that's afraid of someone coming. But I suppose you're right. It's Lucky's business how he earns his money.
12: I'll tell him you dropped in.
10: It's up to you. Good night. So long. <laughs> I put off telling his wife for two days because I didn't know how and because I didn't think it was up to me to tell her things she never knew about her husband. But on the third morning, it broke. The story made page one, part two of all the New York dailies. The body of ex-convict George Myers had been found the night before. He'd been shot to death by what they called an unknown assailant. I phoned the brother, Joe Costa, and met him outside Bricker's during his lunch hour. Hi, Johnny. What's up? Well, maybe the local papers didn't carry it here. This one. What about it? Who's this Myers? Friend of Hazel Mackey's. She told me she hired Lucky to bodyguard her against this Myers. Holy. You mean Lucky killed him? I don't know, Joe. It looks bad. Here, read this last paragraph. Myers went to prison on a robbery rap but the money was never recovered. There's $200,000 floating around, Joe. I can't help wondering if this Mackey woman hadn't her finger on it. Why do you have to tell me this, Johnny? Because I couldn't carry it myself. I talked to Hazel when she told me puts put the finger on Lucky. I wanted you to know because I'm going to have to go to the police with it. This is going to kill Louise, you know that. What can I do, Joe? Well, it seems to me you could stop playing hero. Now wait. Joe. You don't have to run to the police if Lucky did it. Let them find out. You don't have to tell Joe, them. Not for that no good Lucky. But Joe, Joe, listen to me. If they get to the Hazel Mackey and she tells them about talking to me, then what happens? Then I'm in trouble. I can't afford that, Joe. I've got to stay clean with the police. Sure, stay clean, no matter what it does to Louise. That's the way it is, then. I didn't ask to get mixed up in it. I didn't tell Louise what I found out about him, but it's out of hand now, Joe, and there's nothing I can do. Go ahead, then. Go ahead. Maybe some nice fat cop will pat you on the back. Joe!
5: Joe!
10: A sour racket. <laughs>
5: Edmund O'Brien, we bring you the second act of yours truly, Johnny Dollar.
10: I left Hartford for New York on the 110 that afternoon. When I got there, the later editions reported the usual rounding up of known criminals who were being grilled about the Meyer shooting. And the closer I got to the apartment on 82nd Street, the rottener the whole thing looked to me. Who is... Oh. Come on, open up. Hi. What do you want? Where is he now?
12: Lucky? I don't know. I told him to give himself up, but he wouldn't.
10: Did he kill George Myers...
12: Yes, this stupid
10: idiot. How did it happen?
12: Lucky had a room over at the Montclair, and George must have followed me over there.
10: You went across town so you could be with your bodyguard? Yes. And the man you were afraid of followed you? Yes. You were either not very bright or not very scared. Go ahead.
12: Well, about 2 o'clock we came out, and George was waiting in the lobby. He followed us out on the street and started swearing at us. He took a swing at me, and then Lucky tried to stop him... He pulled a gun out of his pocket, and that's when Lucky shot him.
10: That all sounds very neat. What do you mean? Sit down. I've got a theory that I'll try out on you. When I get close, tell me. The $200,000 that never showed up after George Meyer's arrest. For a split of that, Lucky agreed to kill him. You're crazy. You hire a detective as a bodyguard. Theoretically, he could kill this man you were afraid of and ride out of it on his license and the self-defense plea. It was self-defense. George pulled a gun. The police didn't find it. If it was self-defense, why didn't Lucky report it like he should have? I wanted him to. We came
12: back here and I begged him to phone the police.
10: What about the $200,000? I don't know anything about it. You mean it'll be hard to prove that you do?
12: I said I don't know.
10: I take it you haven't phoned the police.
12: Uh, no. I know I should, but I just can't do it to Lucky.
10: You know I'm going to call them, don't you?
12: I thought you said you were his friend.
10: Not that good a friend.
12: What can they do to me?
10: Hold you as a material witness while I try to get some proof together that you dragged Lucky into this.
12: Dragged him into it? I hired him. I told you that. I was afraid of George, and and I hired him.
10: And he killed Myers in line of duty and in self-defense. Why didn't he turn himself in? I don't
12: know. I wanted him to. He must
10: have given some reason for not doing it. What did he say?
12: Well, he, he said that everything was all ruined now and that he'd rather take a chance on getting away.
10: Why was it ruined if he killed himself self-defense? I've had to do it. I don't know. Were you going to help him get away?
12: We didn't talk about that. He was like a crazy man, pacing the floor. And then he left about 3.30.
10: Where was he going?
12: He didn't say.
10: Was he going to get in touch with you? Yes. He said he'd try to call. Well, he won't be here to take the call. I want the police to hear your story. The officer who answered my call was Lieutenant Carl Belder. Two uniformed men who were with him took Hazel Mackey back to headquarters, and he listened to my theory. We searched the apartment without finding proof of her holding any amount like $200,000, she had a small savings account, a small checking account, and her stub showed that she had paid Lucky Costa a week in advance. We waited the rest of the afternoon for Lucky to call, and he finally did an hour or so after dark. Go ahead, Dollar. That might be him. Johnny Dollar. Who? This Lucky. This is Johnny Dollar. Don't hang up, Lucky.
13: Why should I hang up? Hi, Johnny.
10: I'm all right, Lucky. How are you?
13: Fine, fine.
10: Yeah, I can imagine. What was the matter with you?
13: I don't have the slightest idea what you're talking about. How about you explaining yourself? What are you doing in my girl's apartment?
10: She's not lonesome. She's down visiting New York's finest. Why don't you use your head and come on in, Lucky?
13: <laughs> you kidding? I like it where I am.
10: You still figuring on trying to run out?
13: Sure, it's worth a chance, don't you think, Johnny? If you
10: killed Myers in self-defense, why don't you play it that way?
13: Haven't it called Trace, Johnny?
10: I hope we wouldn't have to play games like that. I thought if I could talk to you, you'd come to your senses. Can I meet you someplace where we can talk it over?
13: (laughs) No, thanks. You're a good guy, Johnny, but I think you might sell me out.
10: You've already been sold out. What's the matter with you? You
13: know, if positions were reversed, I'd give you a hand.
10: I wouldn't ask you to. Anybody gets himself in a mess like you're in shouldn't expect help. Now use your head, Lucky. Let's get this over with.
13: (laughs)
0: Sure.
13: Sure, I'll meet you in Times Square. New Year's Eve,
10: Johnny. Lucky? Uh, he's gone. You know him better than I do, but uh, don't you think you pressed him a little too hard? Wouldn't he have believed you if you talked like you were going to help him? No, he knows me better than me. Well, it's a tough spot, Dollar. An old friend like that. Well, he's still in New York. He won't get out now, will he? Well, everything should be covered by now. Do uh, you know him well enough to guess what he'll try? I don't think so, because a killer isn't the guy I knew. His clothes are still in the hotel room. I don't think he'll try for them now. He has got about $200 in his pocket. I don't have any idea what he'll try, Lieutenant. I guess all we can do is wait. An officer was posted at the apartment. Lieutenant Belder and I went down to headquarters. Under steady questioning, Hazel Mackey held to her story that she knew nothing about any $200,000, that she'd been afraid of George Myers, that she'd hired a detective in good faith to protect her, and that after Myers had been killed, she had pleaded with Costa to give himself up. It seemed apparent to me then, after having talked with him, that she had her statement well rehearsed and felt that if she stuck to it, there was no way for us to prove anything else. stayed in New York that night and the next, waiting for something to break. When it came, it came from Hartford. Joe Costa wanted to see me as soon as possible. Johnny? Yeah, Joe. Come on in. Oh, I got here as fast as I could. Good. How's Louise? Not very good. Sit down. Uh, I'm... I'm sorry about blowing up the other day, all Johnny. all right. I didn't blame you. It was a bad time for both of us. You're right, Johnny. All I could think of then was he's my brother. But now it don't make any difference. He's no better than a rat that you got a trap. There's nothing to do but stop him. You're right, Joe. I had to quit my job over him. I couldn't take it the way the boys were looking at me. They wouldn't talk to me. It'll smooth over. What'd you want to talk to me about, Joe? Has he contacted you? Yeah, he phoned me. He wants for me to give him some money so he can get away. He needs more than money now. He'll never get out. What'd you tell him? Well, I told him I didn't have any to give him. And that was a time I knew for sure that you were right about him. So when he asked me again, I told him I'd see what I could do about raising some. I told him to call back tonight. I... I did that so I could sell him out to you. It was the right thing to do, no matter what you think. He wouldn't think twice about pulling you into this mess, Joe. And that's what he did. He asked you to be a party to the killing. Yeah, I know that. When is he going to call? Sometime after 7 o'clock. Does he want you to meet him? Yeah, that's right. With 200 bucks. He's going to tell me where when he calls. He's still in New York, isn't he? Yeah, in Manhattan. You want me to talk to him? Yeah, if he gives himself up, I kind of figure they might take it easier on him. It could be. That's a deal, Joe. I'll talk to him. I'd like to see him go in by himself. Well, yeah. Want a glass of wine while we wait, Johnny? Yeah, yeah, that'd be fine. This is some new stuff from my wife's folks. I took her and the kids up to their house to the stay till this flows over. You'd think we were all criminals the way people treat us in this town. <laughs> call came in about 8.30. The meeting place was a flat near the Bowery. The time was about 10 the following night. I was there at five minutes after. Hi, Lucky. What's this? Let me in. Nice place you got. You like it better than a home with a wife? Shut up.
13: Joe sold me out, huh?
10: He gave you a break. He didn't call the police. He sent me some money? No. Do you think you had any right to ask him to? I need some dough, Johnny. I'm running short. What about your girlfriend? You can shut up about that, too. A double cross, Lucky, huh? Yeah. Yeah,
13: a double cross. A real good one. (laughs) But I got no beef coming.
10: You gonna let Hazel get away with it?
13: Not worth the murder rat to square with her, You know who set up the double cross for her?
10: Who? You did, Johnny.
13: You stumbled into
10: this thing and set it up for her. Maybe she'll send me a gold watch. I saw her three days before you killed him, Lucky. If you knew I stumbled in, why didn't you pull out? She didn't tell me about you until after I killed him. Oh, that's the way it went. Yeah.
13: One little thing Hazel forgot. and She hoped it wasn't important. She hadn't wanted to bother me with it. But a friend of mine acted like he was suspicious of what we were doing. All it did was blow the whole thing sky high. I was going to not a self-defense plea, but you were around, sniffing out the premeditation. I didn't have a chance. That's tough, Lucky. I'm sorry it didn't work out for you. Get off, will you? I came into this with my eyes open. I know what kind of an operator she was. I'm not beefing. There was a chance to make a hundred grand, so I took the jump, so I lost. What now, Lucky? I was going to ask you. You want
10: a drink? No, thanks.
13: You want a drink with me, huh? Eh? Not right now, Lucky. <laughs> you're afraid I'll slip you on Mickey?
10: I wouldn't put it past you if I was in your way. You are in my way. Aren't you, John? Everybody's in your way now. The whole world. You can't make it, Lucky. You won't get out of town.
13: How much you got to
10: Start making sense. You've been on the right side of enough of these things to know you're finished right now.
13: Oh, no, I'm
10: not. I want you to get a shirt and tie on, make yourself look halfway human, and go to headquarters with me. They may give you a break if you give yourself up. David, we're talking about it. What are you going to do?
13: I'm not sure now that Joe's sold me out. I'm in a bad
10: spot, Johnny. I know that. I'm not ready to quit yet. Joe didn't sell you out. He wanted to give you a chance to give yourself up just like I do. We're still your friends lucky. We can't stand by you if you won't do the right thing. Then I'll go it alone. When? What do you mean by that? What do you think I'm going to do, Lucky? Sit here with you until you get ready to leave? I sort of hope you would. It would make it easier if you did. Well, I can't. I came here to give you a break. I've made my offer. Come with me. Give yourself up. Oh, I can't do that. Well, I'm leaving. I'm telling the first cop I see to come and get you. You're going to put a gun on me, Lucky? Yes. I
13: can't let you leave.
10: And you'll have to use it. You want me to come up a coward in front of an old friend like you?
13: I'm sorry, Johnny. You got nothing to lose? You won't get blamed if I get out of here.
10: I can't let you, Lucky. I'm not bluffing. I'll have to see. I'm leaving. I'll ask you once more to go with me.
13: Don't try it, Johnny. I'll kill you if you start for the door.
10: That's your privilege, Lucky, because you're already a killer. Johnny. Yeah?
13: I'm telling you, don't. Johnny, I'm telling you. Johnny, I told
3: you. Well, Dollar?
10: He won't give up, Lieutenant.
3: Well, we'll take him then.
10: He's armed and he's drunk. But take it easy on him if you can. He could have killed me and he didn't. Uh Confession as set down in this report is worthless as evidence, and as far as proof goes, you are still unable to charge Hazel Mackey for her part of the conspiracy. But after Frank Costa died trying to fight his way out of the flat, I want to suggest that she be picked up again and grilled until she breaks. She's as guilty as he was. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar.
5: Johnny Dollar, brought to you by Wrigley Spearmint Gum, stars Edmund O'Brien in the title role and is written by Gil Dowd with music by Eddie Dunstetter. Edmund O'Brien can now be seen starring in the Paramount Pictures production, Warpath. Featured in tonight's cast were Virginia Gregg, Gloria Blondell, High Aberback Peter Leeds, and Sidney Miller. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar is produced and directed by Jaime Del Valle. Spearmint Chewing Gum. Hope you've enjoyed tonight's story of Johnny Dollar and that you're enjoying delicious Wrigley Spearmint Gum every day. We invite you to join us next week at this same time when, from Hollywood, Edmund O'Brien returns in another adventure of... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Bob Stevenson speaking. This is the CBS Radio Network.
1: Thanks for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Our Miss Brooks, followed by The Whistler. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great evening.
0: This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.